Iowa everywhere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, boys, it's game day. Let's go. Let's go. Big game. Got a big game today. My package has arrived. Oh, sweet. Nice. Skull! Great win, fellas. What game's next? G-Men are having a great year. Let's go, Blue! Here we go. Primetime football. Texans, Dolphins. Let's do this. Yes! Review. Yes! Yes! Heartland flags. Every sport, every team, every flag. Every team? That's right. Fine, fine. I'll get a Washington flag, too. Find your flag and so much more with fast, free shipping. Heartlandflags.com. Every sport, every team, every flag. Almost. Heartland Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Docterman and Chad Leistico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seat Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, Iowans everywhere. Thank you for joining us in the Channel Seed Studios for episode 12 of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. I am Des Moines Register Sports columnist Chad Leistico, and it is a great week to be joined by my friend Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Scott, another dramatic week of Hawkeye football without so much as a game. <laughs> Brian Ferentz officially will be let go after the season a decision that came from university leadership leadership, and not the head coach. So, Scott, for the first time in a long time, has Kirk Ferentz not been reminded that the athletic director outranks him? Yeah, this is the first time I've seen him checked, really, since, uh, you know, well, certainly through the Gary Barta era, he wasn't. Uh, when it came closest was the, the reconstituted contract and the clauses put in for the drive for 325 for Brian Ferentz back in February. But other than that, Kirk Ferentz has gotten free reign, you know, through the, the course of his career. Early on, Bob Bowlesby certainly was uh, more of a, you know, a stalwart in the athletic department. But I think what we saw the other day, Chad, was a really uncomfortable Kirk Ferentz. I think one who looked humbled, maybe uh, – you know, uh, just not quite himself. And uh, we saw a different Kirk Ferentz last night on his radio show uh, where he was kind of back to his normal routines. But uh, but I would say that that was one of the more uncomfortable news conferences for us. And it was the most uncomfortable I've seen Kirk Ferentz uh, since I've started covering this program. Well, that's saying something, Scott. Um I really don't have like a hard and fast outline for the show. We'll get to some stuff, but uh, I think we're just going to kind of, you know, hit topics as they come to our mind regarding this, because we've been talking about it now for three days. But yeah. as you were talking, it reminded me of a text thread I was having with a, a former, a former prominent player in the Ferentz era. Okay. Um, and I was, you know, I'm trying to understand where he's coming from. Why, 
why the terse tone? I understand his son was fired. I get that. But like, why? Just trying to unpack some of the stuff. And I think uh, this person was was talking to me about how, and it totally makes sense. Ferentz and football have long valued being completely separated from Carver Hawkeye Arena, from the folks across the river. They believe they are their own entity. They've become their own entity. They've become their own kingdom almost. Um, you know, with with Kirk Ferentz as the emperor, and uh, this is really he does not like when Carver gets involved in other words. So I think that was the, a big part of this, that this isn't how the way I do things. Uh, and that's what I think he was just upset more than anything Tuesday, certainly about his son. I think he had to have known his son wasn't going to reach the benchmarks. Right. But I just think it was like more of a, a realization. That's why I led the show the way I did a realization of who is in charge. And it's not him all, all the time. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Because uh, only in a handful of moments has Jessup outranked him, you know, and that's been situations usually legal or severe controversies, you know, Rabdo or when, you know, there were the, the rapes in 2007, uh, certainly the the a couple of years ago with with the um with the racial bias situation and investigation that you saw Kirk Ferentz kind of, you know, take the, the second the secondary status on that. And I think this week, what we saw is that now they're messing with football. They're messing with on field stuff and he doesn't like that. And I think the protocol of having it, having a, an assistant removed um, before the end of the season was probably the thing that bothered him the most. Um, not only Brian leaving, um, but just the fact that this was decided before the end of the season and we're still six and two and we're, we're in tied for first place and all of this didn't happen. However, Chad, and I'm really interested to hear what you have to say is this was the best thing for the program, for the big picture, uh, because we're a month away from the start of the transfer portal and how many players on his current roster if, mm-hmm. Even if Brian was there through the end of the bowl game and then left for the NFL, but how many players would enter the transfer portal in early December if there if they didn't know what what was next? How many players would not come to Iowa? How many players, frankly, uh, who are committed to Iowa as recruits would look at this and say, "I I don't know, man. This is this is this is rough." So. Um, the timing of it, while inconvenient, of course, for the coach and not the way he wants to handle things, may have been the best thing for the program in the big picture. Legends and Listeners is brought to you every week by Heartland Flags and Gifts, which offers free shipping anywhere in the U.S. and always has fresh products nearly every team, every sport, and every flag. Visit our good friends online at heartlandflags.com or in-store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. Uh, yeah, the timing is something a lot of people have been bringing up, and uh, I felt like it, if you're going to do this, I mean, it, it was clear he wasn't going to reach 25 points per game. They have to average 36-plus in these next four just to get back on pace. And then if they do that, you assume they're going to be in the Big Ten championship game against a really good team. <laughs> Potentially one they scored zero against. Mm -hmm. So you almost have to be ahead of that 25. So it just wasn't going to happen. So uh, it's not – Beth Getz could have taken the easy road and Barbara Wilson and the Board of Regents and just let this play out. But you're right. The the, the timing was intentional, and uh, she did not – you know, I I believe I asked her about that Tuesday. You know, does this – does the timing of this, is that, you know, give you a better chance to to make a good hire, to have – the program be in a better spot, I guess, uh, you know, with recruiting and, and such. And she kind of deflected that a little bit, but in her statement, she did say that. So um, I have, I believe, I think this was way better than waiting because you know how it works, Scott. We've, we've, heck, we ha- saw this with Greg Davis even, you know, after 16. It, it was only a few days after that Outback Bowl, but still, that's January 5th when just the, you know, the departure of the offensive coordinator is announced. And then, you know, it's going to be a, at least a month, if not more to, to get a new one in place. I'm not saying it won't be the same process, but at least like you said, now you've, you've got 
something you can sell to recruits and to keep guys on your own roster. So uh, I'm with you there. Um, yeah. Well, you know, and you look big picture, as you said, the timetable with with uh, the NFL, the NFL season lasts longer now. It lasts till mm-hmm. the second weekend in January. And I know right. that there, there are discussions. I'm not sure if they've been finalized where coach there's the potential for coaches not to be hired until uh, the week before the Super Bowl. So now you're, you're stretching that into, into February and you, you're missing the second recruiting deadline. And so, um, you know, you, there's the potential for players to exit your program. You're not going to be able to pick up players. And then, you know, recruits may decide that they're going to wait till the second signing day and set a sign early, or they might look around. I mean, there's just a lot of uncertainty uh, around player acquisition, talent acquisition based on where we are right now. And so I think in the big picture, yes, it wasn't convenient and it came at a bad time, but it wasn't like it was completely unexpected out of nowhere. Not like Paul Chris getting fired at Wisconsin. Right. You know, yeah. this one was, which may lead us into somewhere here, but yeah, I know. Just <laughs> thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I think this is something that the big picture and it quiets the noise because the you know, everything has been rubbed so raw around this program from fans, from us, national media, what have you about, you know, this offense sucks, this offense, this, um, the drive for 325, you know, the chance for Brian, you know, fire Brian, but now that's all gone. We know the outcome there. Now people may still be upset, but the outcome is removed. So then they can probably get on to focusing on football, you know, rather than worrying about whether this is going to cost him his job or not, because it already has. I have a question for you that uh, I haven't heard anyone talk about, and I just thought of it myself. So um, one of the things in the Beth Getz statement was that he will not be back with us. Um, I wonder, I mean, that does take off the table, moving him to O-line coach. That was one of the theories, right? So I think Kirk would have had that opening, certainly, even into mid-January. And I just, I think that's notable. Do you think that's notable, that that now door has been closed? And because I believe, you know, as I'm talking it out here, I think it's just the toxic nature of the whole thing from the university's perspective. They just wanted this nepotism thing to be done with. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if if, if he wanted to do that, he could have already done it. it. It's just, you know, to now that's like to save his son's job when, you know, his son failed at another job, you know. And, and yes, I believe Brian is an outstanding offensive line coach. And will be for somebody else if he goes down that path or tight ends or, or whatever. However, um, you know, then you'd have to force somebody else out of their job in order to accommodate Brian Ferentz to do that. And you're basically the, the, the optics are that you're just moving him just to keep him on your, your roster because he's your son. And yes, the nepotism part of this has to play, you know, it plays a role because it's something that's brought up daily. And when you, everywhere we go, we're asked about that. And that's one of the topics that are brought up. When you talk to people inside Carver, that that's some of the things that, you know, wow, if it wasn't, if he wasn't his son, there's no way he'd be here. And that spills over into other sports and other topics. And, and so this was the best way to remove it. But I do think, you know, with Kirk um, Tuesday, and then of course, what he had to say Wednesday night, I think really um, you saw a different demeanor. Uh, Maybe he got over it or at least decided to put a public face on it. Uh, Tuesday, he looked hurt. He looked um, humbled. Wednesday night on his radio show, um, which airs both on YouTube and KCRG 9.2 in, in the Cedar Rapids area, uh, he was back to himself and then came out with uh, some, you know, a decent statement both online and then talked about it during the radio show, Chad, that, you know, the Kirk Ferentz, where Tuesday we didn't know what the next step was. Now we know he's coming back. 
Exactly. Uh, I did want to read just a little bit of what he said on the radio show. For our listeners that didn't hear it, uh, he said, I was not. So on Tuesday, uh, it was the second question. I asked him, will you definitively be back given what's happened here in the last few days? And he was like, I'm just going to operate like I always have. I'm focused on this game in the last four games. And then John from the Gazette, I think, asked him another similar question. It was same deal, deflected. I might get hit by a truck tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, You know what I mean? It's not answering the question. But something spurred him to answer the question Wednesday night, whether that's recruiting, whether that's someone told him, (laughs) whether he just came to his senses. But here's what he said. I was not trying to intentionally cause celebration for some people who would love to see me go start a stamp collection or go bird watching or whatever. The intent was to try to steer this thing back to what is important right now. I enjoy coaching. Fortunately, I feel really good. The doctors tell me I'm okay. I hope they're right. See, he's he's throwing in this, you know, this little humor, this self-deprecating humor or whatever, yeah. and basically said later, you know, Mary doesn't want him around anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that was missing on Tuesday. So I don't know what – I have a theory on that. I shared a little bit with my text group. But what do you, what is your thought on why he changed so quickly in 24 hours and basically refused to tell us about his future and all of a sudden he's opening up about his future 24 hours later? I, I think it was, I think his words and his demeanor, you know, changed. And part of that is just going from day one to day two, um, because it was still less than 24 hours after the statement had been released on Tuesday. He knew what, and, and sometimes with press conferences, public officials have to kind of put on their battle armor. And and I think in his case, he probably expected that, but he didn't look like he didn't want to have anything to do with it. He knew what was going to be asked. He knew it was going to be uncomfortable. He was already uncomfortable. He didn't want to say anything. Beth was in the room. You know, there was just a lot of factors, I think, that made him uncomfortable and unwilling to really do say anything. Like he didn't want anything to be interpreted wrong. So he just figures, I'm just going to clam up. I'm going to give it, you know, say, all right, we're moving on. You know, we're on to Cincinnati, you know, with a little more flavor. But yesterday, after a day of, of <laughs> I don't know why I mean. <laughs> but, you know, Wednesday, you know, he still had another day of practice. He had another day to get used to it. He had another day to talk about it internally. He, he, you know, he, he moved on. Um, and I'm sure I, there had to have been conversations, whether it was with Brian or Tyler Barnes or his PR staff, you know, the Wicksteads or whatever uh, that said, this is not a really good look here, you know, because now you've got recruits going, um, are you going to be my coach if I come there? Um, Because, and then you've got, you know, how quickly things move in the recruiting world where other coaches hear and see that and say, aha, see, he's, he's not going to be there. Why don't you come over here this weekend? And they could get poached very, very quickly if you leave it ambiguous. And so I think he closed that loop quickly. Then there's the ulterior, you know, not conspiracy theory, but then the other option is, okay, I'm coming back. So if you want to get rid of me, I don't think there's any indication that that's the case, but if Beth or uh, Barbara Wilson or the Bar Regents want to get rid of him, it's going to take a buyout, not just a, a retirement. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, would, I did want to read that quote, too. He said, uh, so until they tell me to sit down, I'll probably keep going. So <laughs> I, I, I've wrote this a little bit on Tuesday, and I feel I still feel that this today is I think he just he needed to almost wrestle back his feel like he was wrestling back power in some way. Like, hey, I'm still holding the cards here took away players, uh, wanted to be the only voice, and then didn't say anything. And then and then this uh, basically said, I'm, I'm here until they kick me out, basically, which is honestly what a lot of fans wanted. They want Kirk to stay and Brian to go. So it sort of worked out. It just was a little bit clunky and messy. Uh, my theory on it, Scott, just to finish the, that topic, was just – He's never wanted to make anything about himself. And so I think he was probably also uh, – I don't know if he thought this through necessarily, but like the story of the press conference would have been Kirk Ferentz is coming back next year if he had said that, I think, probably, mostly. Um, and, and he didn't, and so it became he didn't like how it was handled and that, you know, basically sending a message that 
don't mess with this carver (laughs) so i think in a way his messaging kind of worked because by wednesday night people were relieved at least most people not all yeah right thrilled whatever that he's he's gonna come back next year so um it's been an interesting tone change and i feel like it's sort of glossed over the fact that you know this is kirk ferentz's offense (laughs) and he's got to change He's yeah. got to change it. So why don't we use that to launch into our final topic since we've got – we're about 20 minutes in, which is what next, right? Um, but first of all, I do want to remind folks that I was favored by five with an over-under of 31 at Circus Sports, and uh, that is our exclusive sports betting app of Iowa. Everywhere Circus Sports is sports betting the way it should be with the highest limits, lowest holds, and best odds. Download the app today at the App Store or CircusSports.com. All right, Scott, so what's next? Uh, Kirk Ferentz tamps down speculation about his future. What does he do next at offensive coordinator? He's not going to answer that for a while, but we can talk about it. What does he do? There's lots of different avenues, Chad, and I mean, I think, you know, among the, the challenges are he usually goes with somebody that he trusts and knows and a lot of times has a connection with already. You know, the, the thought of, you know, pie in the sky, I've, I've, you know, you've been using that phrase with about Ryan Grubb. Um, that's going to cost you a lot of grub, a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, that one's probably unrealistic for a lot of reasons. I mean, because then you Kirk would probably feel like he, he was forced on him. You know, that Kirk wants somebody who will work with him, who understands him, who understands Iowa, the system. I think Brian did, of course, Ken worked that way eventually and then um, Greg Davis did not uh, did not work well as far as I mean they worked well together but just as far as systems go it was very clunky I think you may use a great word earlier today and uh, so to me I, I think that means is there anybody on staff or anybody available that would fit this role and do it well or, or do it the way Kirk would want it to be done, and it would be fairly seamless. Obviously, on staff, you've got John Budmeyer. That's the easiest one of all. He's already here. He's been here for two years. He's a senior analyst. You know, how does he handle um, senior offensive analysts? How, you know, can he just step right in, be the OC, you know, and handle quarterbacks? He probably could. Um, but he is can that, handle it, but is that what you – Yeah. I think that would be a lot of pushback mm-hmm. <laughs> that his influence has been here for two years and they've gotten worse. Yeah. Well, you're right. Cause you look at, you know, he's the one that was instrumental in bringing in Cade. Uh, he was the one that's instrumental in bringing in Deacon Hill. What have they done now? What has he been allowed to do versus what have they done? I mean, he still works with them, you know? So, you know, is it, you know, if he was the one that was offered Deacon Hill first, well, you know, I mean, right now there's there's some challenges there in the way he's performed. It'd be nice. But then there's, uh, you know, anybody else on, on staff? Liddell Betts comes to mind because I think he's a good mind for football. He'd be a guy that I would consider in some respects. And then, then there are the, oh, what about this guy? And to me, that's the Paul Christ question. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, he was a you know former coach, competed against Iowa several times, even when he was head coach at Pitt, let alone as an assistant under Brett Bielema and, and Barry Alvarez, understands Iowa, understands the area, has a similar approach. They did different things, of course, at Wisconsin. And their passing game beat Iowa several times. I mean, it wasn't just the running game. So that's – you know, that's going to make some people go, are we really just kind of status quoing it? But if you're looking at experienced play caller, good play caller in the past, understands the style of play, will freshen up some areas that have sorely needed it. And, uh, you know, he, he failed more as a head coach than as as an offensive coach, at least in this style. I, I don't know. I, I think that's probably the route I would predict at this point, but we were a long way from that, as we know. Yeah. Uh, let's just back up a second here. Ryan Grubb is the offensive coordinator at Washington. He yeah. has Iowa ties, right? Mm-hmm. Is there, uh, that's mainly the 
the connection there, right? Yeah, he's not. Right. He doesn't have Hawkeye ties. He just has no, Iowa ties. State of Iowa. Yeah. yeah. Um, he is making uh, 1.45 million dollars this year. 1.55 next year. 1.67 in 2025. So, mm-hmm. if you wanted to get someone like him, you're talking maybe two million ish. That's about what Ohio State paid Jim Knowles, right? I mean, yeah. if you want to bring in somebody. To, that was what Ohio State did, basically. Right. What I was right. trying to do. They're like, our defense sucks. We got to get somebody. They brought in the o- the DC from o- Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Their defense is one of the best in the country. A few years later, right now. Uh, so, and that's how they're winning games now, which is yeah. interesting. Right. Um, so that would be the stra- the the Ryan Grubb strategy, and I'm all for that if mm-hmm. Kirk is willing to do that. And I don't think. I think Beth Getz would be all for that. I think that's a $2 million annual check. She'd be happy to write, especially mm-hmm. with incoming Big Ten money. And you're taking him from a Big Ten team exactly. in Washington. So, uh, you know, a little strategy there. Uh, so I like that. Uh, here, I know some people would grumble at the Paul Chris thing, but I do not. I, I'm with – I'm with the conversation there because uh, I listened to the athletic football show. Another plug for your, for your uh, audience there. Yeah. Scott uh, and Nate Tice is one of the guys on that show and he's a former Wisconsin quarterback. So he's always talking about Wisconsin and he's, he's referenced many a time and I'm sure you could talk to him, you know, in your corporate meetings or whatever, <laughs> how, just how complicated and effective and like how, uh, intricate their running game was it's not just like we've got 340 pound linemen and jonathan taylor it's there's a lot to it so and he gives a lot of credit to paul christ for that for being a kind of that mastermind of of that running offense now you can believe it or not but i i do believe it i mean Mm -hmm. that's a pretty smart football guy that's talking who played quarterback for for paul christ Mm -hmm. so i and i think you're right i think that's one where kirk would be comfortable and I think that's important. I do think that's important. Mm-hmm. And especially if he said on the radio last night, I'll be here another few years, basically. I mean, who knows what that means? But you wouldn't have to sell Paul Christ on a, hey, you know, you're here, we're in this for 10 years. It could be like maybe a three-year plan type of deal. I don't know. Yeah. Just, you know, in, in theory. And uh, and you could make Bud Meyer your quarterback's coach. I would make Christ – I'm not saying this is the number one plan, but if you do that, make him OC and wide receivers coach and just, you know, tell Kelton Copeland to send out his resumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, tight ends or something like that. And, you know, I mean, you know, you move can do all. Yep. Yeah. You can move around the staff, however you so choose, you know, I mean, who knows if, you know, I mean, Seth is a very qualified, uh, you know, potential defensive coordinator for a <laughs> you know, a hundred plus teams in my eyes. So if that was the case, then I think that would be, that would be fine. I think with, with Paul Chris, the other thing that he brings is he brings enough clout and respect that where, where Kirk would probably leave him alone. Now, I mean, they would talk and work together. Yeah, that's a good point. But if, if it's third and two, he's, he doesn't have to go over there and say, run the ball, you know, that he'll trust Paul to make the right call. Now they may hash it over and talk it over and decide and if they call a timeout or or during the week or whatever. But you know, Paul has, has organized good offenses before. And and so I, I think there would be a trust element. You know, he you know, he likes kind of two veins, either A, that they've they've played or worked for him, or B, you know, somebody who's a teacher. And I think Paul could could do that and um you know, so I, you know, I mean, you could keep Bud Meyer around, you know, and, and you need probably need a wide receiver coach at some point or, or whatever, because you do want some sort of marriage there with the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator. And I think wide receiver has been, you know, undeveloped in a lot of ways, whether that's Iowa or that's Copeland, it's, it hasn't worked. Let's just put it that way. So to me, I think that one probably makes the most sense. You know, he's only an analyst right now, I think with Texas, so, you know, he it wouldn't be like waiting to the end of the year type of thing if you wanted True. to bring him in in December. And uh, I don't know. Uh, That's a good point. But uh, I guess, 
is that something Kirk do you think would do? Is that a Kirk Ferentz move for till let's say 2026? Maybe that's the year that he says kumbaya mm. and passes on on football field. <laughs> I, mean, I don't mean it in life. I mean his career. Oh, yeah. We're writing his career obituary, not his yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, it was Sorry, funny. I didn't mean that one. <laughs> <laughs> whoops uh, oh man scott you threw me off there um i i think it is the type of fit that he would look for um the other thing that kirk likes to do is you know he, he does and i do give him credit for this he likes to look for somebody moving a level up so he might look for you know like northwestern did with david braun like an fcs mm-hmm. Did that with Polisek, actually. I mean, yeah. bring bring someone in from a, from a successful SCS program. Um, I would be all for something like that um, if there's you know some innovation going on um, potentially. So obviously, there's you know a lot of time for for that conversation. But I think the real question is, would Kirk get out of the way once and for all? And I don't know if he will. I don't know if he thinks he needs to. What do you think? I think that depends on who he hires. And and that's why when I look at somebody he doesn't know, he's going to be involved because he does there's not a trust. It has been built over time and and it could be somebody 33 or it could be somebody like Ryan Grubb or it could be anybody to make sure that they do the things that he wants them to do you know, in the narrow and in the big picture, not necessarily the specific play calls, but just that they're doing it the way that he likes it done. And whereas, you know, and I, I don't want to make Paul Chris like the automatic hand, you know, number one candidate, but he kind of fits that, that position where Paul has been a head coach, you know, an equal head coach at an equal institution and had a lot of success and they've won big games. They beat Iowa several times. Whereas I don't think, you know, Kirk probably would trust him more, you know, than anybody else, you know, no matter if they came in, you know, Tim Polisek would make sense on paper. You know, he was here at Iowa. He was offensive line coach. And now, now he's at, at Wyoming and they're winning and he's the OC there come back. But how? But Kirk probably would have more influence than that, yeah. As opposed to, uh, you know, a successful former head coach. Yeah, I lo- those are good thoughts there. Uh, here, if he could, if he could pull that off, and turn the keys over, I think that's what everyone wishes. Um, you know, who watches Iowa's offense because it's so unwatchable. It's, I mean. Yeah. I dread, I dread DVR Monday. <laughs> just trying to rewatch that game. It is. I know you rewatch the games too. It's just, it's not fun at all. Yeah. At all. Uh, the Wisconsin game was a little bit fun because they, they succeeded a little bit running, and it was kind of fun to see what they did uh, against stack boxes. But anyway, my point was going to be, Kirk has always said when he retires, he wants to be like an O line coach or something like that. Why couldn't you just get out of the offensive meetings altogether and just? During practices, just – I mean, I know he does some of it anyway. But just like in your mind, let the offense go and just focus on the, your O-line because that needs so much help mm-hmm. right now. And you're not going to have Brian. Um, I mean, it's just one – it's one way Kirk could maybe, you know, ease into what he wants to do without retiring. He can still get $7 million a year and be an O-line coach. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, he just doesn't see himself as being a figurehead, but it, it's because he's been micromanaging it for so long. And I think part of that is, you know, especially in the last two coordinators, that whether it's just not trust or there's just not been the the work, they haven't worked well together. You know, Greg Davis had a different passing offense that just didn't mesh with the zone outside zone and inside zone run. So he had to do things differently there with Brian. Maybe, you know, it's pretty obvious that he sees things he doesn't necessarily like, and he wants to be heavily involved with. And, and I think you're right. If he could say, dedicate himself to um, overseeing things, coaching the entire team, because, you know, I mean, defense has been kind of its own entity <laughs> and deservedly. So it's among the best in the country. I mean, well, that it, works. He lets yeah. him do it and it works. Right. You know, you need to do the same with offense. Um, you look at guys like, 
Joe Paterno or Bear Bryant, uh, you know, even Nick Saban. I mean, they they coach everybody really, really hard. They coach their coaches hard, but they get out of the way. And and I think that's been the the issue with Kirk over the years is he's a he's a Hall of Fame coach, but to be considered like a generational coach, one of the great coaches in history, you've got to take a next step. And the offense has been you know, they've been shackled to this offense and it hasn't done anything. And so I think he needs to let go of that kind of, you know, another coach I covered for a while was Dick Vermeil and the St. Louis experiment for him. Sure. For first two years, he was all about being involved and in, in running them ragged and doing all those things by year three. It was like, if this doesn't work, you're fired. He hires Mike Martz. He gets out of the way, um, drove him crazy at times, but then, he got he got it to the big picture. Greatest you know, show and, on turf. Exactly. Yeah. You know, let it. You know, I'm not. We're not going to see the greatest show on turf. <laughs> no, no, we're not promising that. <laughs> no, but uh, sorry. Better than the worst show on turf, which is the. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That is the worst show on turf right now. Uh, yeah. I, let's finish up with a little more Brian talk because we haven't talked too much about him, and I want to get your opinion on this. I, uh, I keep asking myself, where did the where did this go wrong? My column earlier in the week talked about. Hey, this is a guy that led the, led a team to thirty one plus points or thirty one ish points in eighteen and twenty. Uh, you know, great O line track record. Coach Sheriff somehow got that two thousand fifteen line, which was yeah. had no tackles and was banged up. Had James Daniels, a true freshman, out there at times uh, to twelve and zero, and then two thousand sixteen, and they win the Joe Moore Award uh, for the best offensive line in the country. So, quality coach, uh, we think. I mean, not you know, at least on the O line, very good O line coach, but OC it just it just went downhill, and I'm curious what you think. Where did it go downhill? Uh, and do you one thing that I that I wanted to talk about was when he became since he's become quarterbacks coach, it has gone way downhill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think. I think that's part of it too, because we're seeing in these press conferences, it's like, why is not Joe Labus developing? Why is Deacon Hill still your best option? How is that humanly possible? And uh, they don't have a quarterbacks coach, a real one. Um, So anyway, what are your thoughts? Where do you think it kind of went south for Brian? Because he did have success early on. Ohio State, Mm -hmm. 2018, USC in 2019. Etc. I think early on it was the combination of they they had better talent than people realized, and they had a quarterback who could execute the game plan effectively for the most part. Um, Nate Stanley was better than people notice when you look at their offensive line that they had in eighteen and twenty. I mean, guys earlier on. I mean, Alaric Jackson I think is the most underrated offensive player I've seen at Iowa in seventeen plus years. Uh, he was a dominant run blocker as his own in his own. He won every damn time last couple of years. Tristan Wirfs was there in 18. You had Hawkinson and Fant in 18. You, uh, you know, you had good wide receivers at, at times. And then in 20, you had a, a pretty good running back still running, you know, behind Alaric Jackson, who was a starting left tackle in the NFL and, and, and uh, Tyler Linderbaum at center. And you had a good tight end and still some good receivers too. <clears throat> but what happened was I, or I, what I think happened is that when the quarterback couldn't execute it, he didn't know how to channel it to let's get it to the base of what we do well and, and emphasize that because there wasn't much that they did well, but they still couldn't find that. Okay. If nothing else, let's just run this play or this type of play. And he just, and there was the one thing that has kind of bothered me over the years with the Ferentz offenses is that they don't necessarily trust their playmakers to make plays on the ball. That was with Noah Fant, Brandon Smith. They did some, but not enough, not nearly enough. It, think of it in basketball terms, get your player the ball and, and let them make a play. And they needed to do that more. And, and then, you know, last year and this year to an extent, you know, they, they, the injuries, uh, you know, last year was they didn't have any wide receivers. Their offensive line was was a mess. 
you know, this year, the quarterback situation's a catastrophe, you know, and he hasn't been able to figure out what to lean on a little bit of the running game, but then everybody knew that. And then we saw last week, there were wide open patches in the passing game and he didn't exploit them. And it's like his script is really good, but his next his counters is never good. And I think, so it's like, what do you do to follow up in the second and third quarters? And, and so to me, it's always about, he sees it and then it adapts and then he can't adapt with it. Right. Good analysis there. <clears throat> um, Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really good stuff. I mean, I think it's just sort of like almost a, a snowball effect of like your offense gets bad. You can't get the players. Um, you know, confidence starts to wane. I just think it's kind of all snowballs on, on top of one another. And I, yeah, it's, I always tell people like, yeah, the, the script is like the best chance for Iowa to score is usually early in the game because teams haven't adjusted to what they're going to do. We, so we've seen that. And that's why I think Iowa takes the ball. That's their number one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's their best chance to get ahead. They like to get a lead and then let the defense cook. Um, so anyway, mm. I, don't know, but I just think it's just it just it un, it's unraveled so far that there's no way it's irre- irreparable at this point, and that's why Beth gets yeah. had to make the move. So yeah, I mean, and the, the other part, Chad, that we know is, I mean, <clears throat> the fans, the critical mass of fans have had it. It's not just uh, the angry tweet or and twi- <clears throat> people on Twitter getting mad at. Um, you know, them doing something like, like say three or four years ago, I just kind of rolled my eyes. You know, if you're complaining about Nate Stanley, you know, people, when he threw five touchdowns at Iowa state, I had people say, yeah, but he missed on these ones and it should have been eight. You know, it's like, well, you know, that, that, that's stupid to think that way, you know, but you know, so, you know, that would have been one thing, you know, when they're averaging 31 points a game, I'm not going to get, you know, (laughs) you can just have your opinion and be quiet. But, but I think, the regular fans now are going, I'm not coming back for this. I bought in last year. You guys got all these new players. It was the players, right? And mm-hmm. now we, we see it's not. And so you'd probably see an emptier Kinnick. You know, they wouldn't sell out every game. They, you know, people, but people want to buy in. So, yeah. and what we saw yesterday, though, I think last night and, and overall from people texting me and whatever is that, I think the fans, the majority of fans are still behind Kirk, though. They yeah. want Kirk to succeed. It's just they wanted Brian and they wanted different offense, you know. Yeah. We didn't really talk much about the Iowa Northwestern game, Scott. Let's dig into that for just a couple minutes. Uh, Deacon Hill gets the start. Uh, it doesn't sound like there's much chance of another quarterback being in there. Um, where do you think this season goes from here? I mean, starting this Saturday. Hmm. I think it go in a lot of different directions. Um, I mean, we look at this matchup and uh, I don't, I still, I don't have a good feel for it. I, I think, yes, Iowa could go in and, and win and maybe even win decisively, but I also could see it losing if, mm-hmm. and it really comes down to quarterback play in my eyes, because I think the defense will keep them in the game. You know, we might see Cooper DeGene return the first punt at Wrigley Field since Gale Sayers in 1965, which I'm all for. Great stat. Uh, yes. Since the six touchdown game against the 49ers in 65. Wow. That wow. was the last punt return. I'd love to be there for that, uh, for nostalgic reasons and what have you. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but it's going to be about quarterback making a couple of makeable plays and not turning the ball over. And the other day, Kirk was just kind of in his own Ahead, you know, I asked him about, uh, you know, what is it positive that the offense can do better, and he just reverted back to not turning over the ball. Well, and and to me, I'm like, they got to, you, you can't just say, you know, zero is the goal on offense. You know, you've got to try to figure out what. So to me, if if the offense can generate two touchdowns on its own. And, and then a field goal or two out of that. And then whatever the defense and special teams gives you is gravy, which is more than every other defense in America. But uh, then I think they're, they're winners. Then I think they win and probably win not, maybe not comfortably, but they're in control. But if, if they can't do that, or if they, you subtract a, a, you know, with a pick six or a fumble, you know, 
you know, near the infield or <laughs> pitcher's, <laughs> mound, pitcher's yeah. mound or something, then I think it could be, uh, it, it could be down to the very end. Two touchdowns is asking a lot. 17 of Iowa's last 29 games, Scott, they have one offensive touchdown or less. So uh, two would be uh, overachieving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. The quarterback thing is, is I don't get it. I, I mean, I asked him, Mm-hmm. about the the turnover worthy plays and you you know we're both on the same it's he doesn't he doesn't give an answer that the other guys i mean they must turn it over more in practice and mm-hmm. and that i guess that's that's going to have to be another topic for another time i guess i've got i picked iowa to win 15 13 but i don't mm-hmm. love the pick i really could see them lose this one yeah i'm the same way chad i'm, I'm gonna i guess i'm gonna go 13 to 9 Iowa, uh, <laughs> the under, the actually, under hits. Actually, I did take. Uh, I, I did in a different area. I did take them uh, with the points. Let's go sixteen to nine. Okay, you know, you know that way I have because uh, I had Iowa covering, so I probably should keep that, <laughs> not mix them up. But but uh, you know it's yeah you know then five Big Ten games they've scored five offensive touchdowns this year, and yep. that's you know and when you got a defense that over the last four games have allowed two combined offensive touchdowns and that was against Purdue and one of them was really late in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, um, it boggles your mind that they've gotten to this position. Uh, what are you watching in the big 10 this week? Uh, obviously, you know, we mentioned I was at a four way tie atop the West uh, Minnesota at, against Illinois hosting mm-hmm. Illinois, but they're only a two point favorite Nebraska yeah. at Michigan state, Wisconsin at Indiana. Yeah, the, I think all of those are interesting because I think that the the leaders, not the legends, but the leaders <laughs> of, of the the division are a little bit better than their opponents, but not much. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you know, Wisconsin's kind of a heavier favorite, but Indiana played well against Penn State, so I'm not sure that that's the. You know, I think Wisconsin's going to win, but I don't think it'll be decisive. Um, I think Nebraska is better than Michigan State. I thought Michigan State might put up a better effort than Minneapolis last week, and it didn't happen. Um, and then they fell apart at the end. Uh, so I think Nebraska is probably the team that carries that. Minnesota, it is interesting, though, you know, that, as you mentioned, that what the line is being at home against Illinois, which is tied for last. And Illinois has got players, but. You know, they've been so inconsistent. But I, I'll tell you this, the, the the one I really am going to watch is the rematch of the Big Ten championship game. And I want to just mm-hmm. see if, if we how many cameras are on the sidelines at, uh, at Ann Arbor uh, pointed towards Ryan Walters and his, and his team. So <laughs> I imagine there's going to be quite a few, right? Yeah, what a story, man. Uh, so I, I know – by the way, Johnny Newton's out the first half too for Illinois. Yeah. But, but it's – I feel like that line is so uh, interesting that Minnesota is only a two-point yeah. favorite after over with all that. Yeah, you know, only a two-point home favorite that that mm-hmm. raises my eyebrows. And I looked into it. Brett Bielema nine and zero against Minnesota as a head coach. So mm-hmm. um, maybe mm-hmm. that's why. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing, Scott is is about this Michigan situation. Um, I know we're going to touch long here. Sorry about that, Aiden. Uh, but the conference. ADs, I believe, are going to be talking to Tony Petiti today. The coaches talked to him yesterday. It sounds like I think it was Pete Thamel of ESPN. Uh, I think others have said this too, but that coaches want Petiti to do something now uh, against Michigan uh, while mm-hmm. this is still being investigated. Uh, that would be an interesting precedent to set, but you kind of understand where their anger is coming from. I mean, they're like, we've, right? I mean, we've lost games in their mind because. <laughs> they were cheating. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I completely get it. When you've got, um, if you know the outcome, it's third and tw- third and three, which is mm-hmm. you can go either way, and you know which play is coming. You can set your defense accordingly, stop them, and force them to punt. Whereas if you don't know what play is coming and then they convert it, then that's how drives that turns into points that prevents you from scoring all those types of things. I mean, and when you're talking about the smallest details, not the big games, I mean, like Iowa got, you know, got cheated against Michigan two years ago in the big 10 championship game, but let's, let's face it. We're not going to suggest that Iowa 
you know, what it, it might have been like 31 to three instead of 42 to three, you know, something like that instead. But overall, <clears throat> I think what we're, what, you know, if you're Penn State or if you're Ohio State and, you know, Maryland, I think they've been all very vocal in this situation. And same thing with, um, you know, Fleck. And I guess Franklin was as vocal as anybody. Um, you've you've got to push because these are against the rules and they benefited from this. And, you know, now is this a situation? I don't know if you can take it away, though, because you're penalizing the players, um, for an opportunity to win a national title for the Big Ten Conference, which doesn't happen all that often. <clears throat> so, you know, what I could see is loss of revenue. You know, you'll you'll lose all of your uh, postseason revenue from this and maybe, maybe yeah. be, be ineligible to the Big Ten Championship game next year. Not the playoff, but the championship game next year. Sure. Not yeah. this year, but... Yeah, that's a that's a realistic. I feel like that's realistic. But the interesting thing is, Scott, Michigan's finally going to start playing teams next week. Penn State in Happy Valley, and then in the Horseshoe two weeks later. Uh, or not the Horseshoe, Big House. Yeah. Uh, two weeks later against Ohio State. So, um, you know, you would think the signs have changed yeah. <laughs> for those teams. So, uh, but wasn't that an f- interesting story about? how TCU knew they were stealing signs and and gave them dummy signs and look what happened to Michigan yeah. against TCU last year. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it is interesting to see what, when you try to rely on that and Kirk did bring that up the other day about, you know, sometimes you feel like you know something and then, well, you know, they set a stadium record or something when he yeah, thought that they knew right. it. You know, I hate to know what they didn't know. And and then and that's the case. You start to think you know everything and then you don't and then you don't execute it. You know, that's also another part of it, too. But but when these games are that tight, when you're talking about a touchdown game or a ten, even a 10 point game, um, what you how you're able to stop somebody or how you're able to convert on third down could be all about knowing, hey, OK, they're going to be in. You know, it's like half strong, you know, like maybe half coverage, mm-hmm. cover two, strong side, you know, and then, you know, pit, you know I'm, I'm being very, very small. But, but you know, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we got it. They're going to be a cover two, which means we want to run a, 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 go, a couple of go routes down the middle of the field or something like that. Or we want to tack because they're all not going to have uh, on the ground because they're only going to have seven in the box, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Well, uh, you and I grew up Cub, Cubs fans, and uh, this will be the first time I've ever been in the press box in Wrigley oh, Field. So, uh, uh, pretty exciting. Have you been up there before? Yeah, I went there once. Uh, this was when Iowa played uh, Northern Illinois at Soldier. I went to uh, the day before Fran threw out the first pitch at Wrigley Field. So, I was okay. there for, for that game. Uh, I played the Giants. So, I got to sit up there. That was pretty neat. Um, yeah, kind of a memory for me as well. Yeah, well, looking forward to seeing you on Saturday, and uh, thank you, Hawk fans, for joining us. See you, see you in uh, two days, Scott. All right, sounds good, Chad. See you there. <laughs> Until next time, Scott Docterman. This is uh, for first doc, Scott Docterman. This is Chad Lystico of the Des Moines Register. We'll talk to you next Thursday at 11 a.m. from the Channel Seed Studios. Hey, maybe Noah Shannon is back on the field by then. Thanks for watching, legends and listeners, uh, here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Iowa Everywhere.